Amen. Hallelujah. God is good all the time. Amen. Well, you know, we live in interesting times, don't we? What a, what a time to live in. And uh, I think because of these times that we live in, it's so important uh, for us to understand the spiritual authority that we have in the name of Jesus and through the Word of God. And uh, yeah, I was thinking about those principles once again. And, you know, Dr. Cole said that throughout the Bible we see patterns and principles that we follow. That through the life of Jesus, through the ministry of Jesus, and through the writers of the epistles and so forth, we see over and over again, we see patterns. And, and those patterns are there for us to be able to follow so that we can experience the fruitful life. You know, every one of us, we're, we're called to live a fruitful life. We're not supposed to just live some form of existence. And I think oftentimes that's what we see in the world today, that people are just simply living a, a form of existence and and we wonder oftentimes, why is it that, that people get into what they get into? You know, whether it be drugs or whether it be alcohol or whether it be uh, a promiscuous lifestyle. Uh, or they, uh, they, they go overboard in their their hobbies and their fun times or whatever it may be. Why, why is that? It's because we're living this form of existence that has no true meaning behind it. Whether we realize it or not, our life has to have some form of meaning to it. Otherwise, it's, it's an existence and it's not very profitable. Several years ago, I read this, this book, and the title of the book was Halftime. And uh, <laughs> it, it applied to me because it, it talked about how, um, you know, the first half of an individual's life, they, they live their life, they, they work it to be successful. But then after you get, you know, to you know, oftentimes we call it the midlife crisis or whatever. And the individual begins to look at it and they, they, they begin to ask, vanity, vanity. You know, is this all that there is? And the writer of this book, or the example that was given in the book was about an individual that lived a very successful life in business and and he reached that point and you know, had everything, had the cars, had the houses, had the success, had the recognition. But then he gets to this point and he asks himself, is this all there is? Is this all that my life was about? Let me tell you something, at some point you can have all the stuff, but at some point in your life you're gonna look at it and you're gonna say, is this all that there is? 
And he says, then in the second half of an individual's life, if, if they've gotten to that point, what they begin to look at is, is there something that I can do that's significant? Let me tell you something where significance comes from. Significance is what we do to impact the lives of others. That's what's significance in life because what happens then is we begin to leave a legacy. And if all that my life has been is for my enjoyment and for my, for me, 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 the unholy trinity, me, myself, and I, rather than for the trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And isn't it interesting? God so loved that he gave. Jesus so loved that he gave his life. And Jesus loved us so much that he says, I'm not gonna leave you alone. I'm gonna send you another comforter. And on Wednesday night, at least beginning, I'm gonna, it's been a few years since I've gone through it, so we're gonna go through the book of Galatians. What we see how God sent another comforter and how that other comforter is just exactly like Jesus. And so Jesus has not left us alone. He sent us the Holy Spirit. That was done out of love. And so what really spoke to the, concerning the early church was, oh, how they loved one another. And it isn't just how we love ourselves, our four and no more, but it's how we love others as well. But in order to do that, we need to begin to practice and follow the patterns and principles that have been given to us in the Word of God. And I think so often we, we, we don't want to do that. We want to we wanna think that there's another way, but don't be deceived. God's not going to be mocked. There is no other way. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the life. And there may be many different ways that that's presented to us. But ultimately, it comes down to one person, one Lord, one Savior, and that's Jesus. And there is no other way. So, <clears throat> this morning, I gotta figure out how to get back into my message after that, you know. But I wanna talk to you about the spiritual authority because we have spiritual authority and the way that we implement that in our lives is through faith. You know, we talked last week about Romans 10, 17, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, and there is no other way for faith to rise up in our lives. And so what that says is that if faith comes by hearing, there's no option. If we wanna have great faith in our life than to hear the word of God. And it's faith that operates the spiritual authority that we have in our life. And so if we are to operate, if we're to walk in spiritual authority, it's gonna be based on faith. And so we need to live and we need to walk in faith. As believers, 
it's good for us to recognize that we have spiritual, spiritual authority, but we've got to know how it works. We've got to know what's behind that spiritual authority for it to work in our lives. And so what we see then is it's, it's faith that unlocks spiritual authority in our lives. You know, the Bible tells us Jesus gave us all power, all authority. He said, all authority has been given unto you. Go ye therefore. And the reason that we can go out into all the world and present Jesus to a lost, dying, and hurting world and see them come to the reality of Christ is because of the authority and power that has been invested in us through the Lordship of Jesus. He commissioned us. He, he commanded us to go into all the world and to use that authority. And, and it's not something new. You know, I heard somebody say one time, if you want to get the true meaning of a principle or of a truth, go back to its beginnings. Or it is a, a principle that we see in the Word of God. It's, it's called the principle of beginnings. And, and what it is, is it's, it's going back to the beginning of when a principle or a truth was presented to us in the Word of God. And then we build upon that. But oftentimes what we try to do is we, we try to enter in mainstream and make something out of something rather than go, to, go back to the beginnings. But let's go back to the book of beginnings. Let's go back to Genesis, the first chapter. And in the 27th verse, it begins to talk about how God created man in his image. You know, if you've got been created in the image of something, how does that one that you are created in the image of, how do they function? How do they operate? You know, <clears throat> now, we're not God. There's only one God. Amen. If you think you're God, um, please come up here and I'll cast that devil out of you. You know, but we've been created just a little bit lower than God because we've been created in his image. You know, I know one translation says that we've been created just a little bit lower than the angels, but if you study that, it's we've been created just a little bit lower than Elohim, which is the word for, for God. Now, it's not a capital G. We're, we're, we're small g. So we've been, we've been created in the image of God. And so in a sense, we're to operate like God. Boy, that one will get you stoned. But how did God operate? God said, and it was. How are we supposed to operate? With words. We're to, we're to speak. And what we say is what's supposed to come to pass. Because what we say is to be according to the word or the will and the plan of God. You see, when we know the word, when we pray and when we ask for something, 
We're never going to ask for something that is contrary to the Word of God. What we ask will always be in line with God's Word if we know the Word. And so we can know that we'll have that which we ask for. And so in, in verse 1, well, let's start in verse 26. And it says, God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. You know, there's, there's a group out, <clears throat> and they, they, they don't believe in the Trinity. You know, they believe that, you know, Jesus only. And throughout the, the scriptures, whether it be Father, whether it be Son, whether it be the Holy Spirit, it's, it's a different manifestation of Jesus. But I believe this verse gives us a, a clear indication concerning the Trinity because who's God talking to? Because he hadn't created anybody else. You know, and so he's not, he's not schizo, he's not talk, just simply talking to himself, but he says, let us. It's a joint effort between Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. He said, let us make man in our own image according to our likeness. And so, whether you like it or not, you're like God. So you ought to like that. Because of what's about to come. Because the head has the authority and the right to delegate. Only the one that's in authority has the right to delegate. And so he says, let them, whom? The man and the woman, the ones that he's to create. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now, <clears throat> he was really repetitious in those two verses. And I think he is repetitious because he wanted us, wanted us to understand something. We are created in the image of God. And as being created in the image of God, we were created to have dominion over creation. But all around us, we see creation taking dominion over man. You know, <clears throat> there, there, there's a study, and I, I believe it's, I believe it's heroin. It's a huge epidemic. They're saying out east, their morgues on a Sunday or on a weekend are overflowing 
because of overdoses. That this, this heroin is, is so pure, it's, it's so strong that scores of people, I mean, it's, it's epidemic, the number of people that are dying from overdoses. Let me tell you something concerning heroin. It's part of creation. And it's taken dominion over man. We've worked with, we deal with people that are alcohol. It's part of creation. Meth is part of creation. Marijuana is part of creation. And we find individuals, their lives are destroyed and dominated by something that they are to have authority over. Addiction is a right, or not a right, is a, a result of creation taking authority over man. Why is spiritual authority so important? Because if you and I don't realize the authority that we have in the name of Jesus, creation will take, take dominion over us. As parents, as grandparents, we not only have the right, we have the responsibility to use the authority that we have in the name of Jesus and whatever it is that's trying to control and dominate and override our children, we need to have enough guts and authority and knowledge to rise up and say, no, no, no. We will not allow this in Jesus' name. Because if we don't rise up, nobody's going to do it. I know that everything gets blamed on Trump today. But let me tell you something. The majority of our problems today, it's not Trump. It's not even Congress. The problem, now don't throw anything at me. The problem isn't even the news media. The problem is believers not rising up and using the authority that has been invested in us through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He didn't die on the cross just simply so that you and I might go to heaven. Now if he did, wouldn't that be the, the, the That'd be enough. But that wasn't it. It was so that we would rise up and that we would take our rightful place that was given to us through creation. That we would just stop settling for the status quo. That we would stop with a case, hurrah, hurrah, what will be, will be that we would rise up and we would say, no, in the name of Jesus, we will not allow this 
in our household. We will not allow this in our community. Because if the believers don't rise up, nobody's going to. And if we think it's bad now, we ain't seen nothing yet. Then in the 28th verse, then God blessed them, gave them authority and blessed them. You know, people have lied about my God. People have lied about my Savior, Jesus. People have lied about the precious Holy Spirit that indwells me. They've blamed them for so much that they have absolutely nothing to do with because God wants to bring blessing into your life. My God is not a God of cursing. We'll get to that in a little bit. He's a God of blessing. And just as he blessed Adam and Eve, you see, to realize that we have authority is not a curse. To realize that we have the right to take dominion is a blessing. Do you know why? We don't have to allow what's been raising havoc in our lives to rule any longer. But notice this. He says, then God blessed them and he said to them. He said it to them, but you know what? He said it to creation. He said it to those whom he created and gave dominion to. And so that that word, because we are the redeemed of the Lord, that we've been restored to our rightful position as sons of God, it's spoken to you and I. Words are important. Words are important. We've got to realize the words that we speak are important. But there's another element of that. We need to realize that the words that are spoken to us are important. And especially the words that God has spoken to us are important. Because if we don't recognize them and we don't receive them, they're just words. They'll have absolutely no impact in our life. But when we read through the scripture and we realize that it's not just a bunch of words put on page, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. That means these words in this Bible are Holy Ghost inspired, or we could say it this way, they are God spoken. And they are his words that are for you and for me. Hallelujah. Now this is good. Now this, this is something you can be happy about. You know, and so, you know, don't be sad, don't be mad, be glad. Because of what Jesus is saying. Now, now listen to this. Then God blessed them and God said to them, 
be fruitful and multiply. You know what the enemy wants to do? He wants to destroy your fruit. He does not want you to multiply. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. Subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over every living thing that moves upon the earth. Take dominion. But you know what? In order to take dominion, we've got to take our rightful place as sons of God. And we've got to recognize what Jesus has done for us. And we need to rise up with boldness. You know, Joel Osteen was talking this morning and in, in, in the last part of his message, he was, he was talking about the prodigal son and how the, the prodigal son had <clears throat> gone out and, and uh, you know, taken his inheritance and, and went to a far country and wasted everything that had been uh, given to him by his father. And, and finally, when he was in the pig pen, uh, eating the pods that were, they were feeding to the hogs, he, he came to his senses and he says, I'm going to return to my father and I'm going to say to my father, I'm no longer worthy to be considered your son. Treat me as one of your servants. And you know what the problem is, is, is we don't see ourselves as sons. We've got a, we've got a servant's mentality. We've got a We've got a slave mentality. All of this stuff that's going on out east right now, it's because of the hearts and the minds of people that they've been set free, but they still have a slavery mentality. You and I, we've got to overcome that slavery mentality. We've got to overcome that servant mentality. You know, the Apostle Paul said, I take the position of a bondservant. He said, I take the place of a bondservant in order to serve you. But he said, the reason that I'm able to do that is because I know my position as a son of God. He wasn't saying, I am a servant. He said, I take the place of a servant. I take that position of a servant so that I can serve you. Why do we have such a hard time serving? It's because we have a servant mentality. We see ourselves as servants. We see ourselves as slaves. And we don't like that position. And so it's difficult then to rise up and serve somebody. But let me tell you something. When you see yourself as a son of God, when you see yourself as a daughter of God, and you see a need all at once, it's easy to take that position of a servant. Because as a son of God, I'm here to serve you. That's not my identity. My identity is that of a son of God. And so when the prodigal son comes back, he comes to his father and his father, you know, if you read it in, 
in the literal, it's like he's searching for the searching the horizon, looking for his son's return. We don't know how long it's been, whether it's been weeks, months, years. It appears it's been quite a period of time. But his father never stopped looking for his son. God never stops looking for us to step into that position that belongs to us through the completed works of Jesus. But see, the son comes back. And the son approaches his father. And he bows before his father and he says, Father, I'm no longer worthy to be your son. Why? Because of his actions. He's saying, because of my actions, I am no longer worthy of your blessing. I'm no longer worthy of your love. That's the attitude of a servant. And that's the attitude of so many in the church today. We don't deserve God's blessing. We don't deserve God's love. Why? Because I haven't lived up to what I ought to be. And so in our approach to God, we approach him like the prodigal son. We say, Father, I'm not worthy to be your son. Treat me as one of your servants. Put me in the slave quarters. Feed me the slop that you're feeding the other servants. But the father would have none of it. He said, this is my son. He was lost. He's been found. He was dead. He's now alive. Put the robe on his back. Put sandals on his feet. Put the ring on his finger. For this son of mine lives. You see, as a son, you approach God with boldness. Hebrews says, come approach the throne of grace to receive. Come boldly to approach the throne of grace to receive help in your time of need. Doesn't say come begging. Doesn't say come crawling in like a miserable worm. He says come boldly to the throne of grace to receive help in your time of need. You need healing in your body. You don't have to beg for it because it's our Father's will for you to be whole because that's part of the blessings that's been provided for you. He's given you dominion over sickness, over disease. Lack tries to infiltrate your house. You say no in Jesus' name because my God supplies every one of my needs according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus. You know, in, in, in Mark 11, 23, we're all familiar with it. I'm so familiar, I can't find it right now. 
11.23. It says, For assuredly, I say to you, I say to you, assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed, be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, what'll happen? He'll have what he says. But he's gotta say it. Now what's the mountain? I, I don't know about you, I don't care where the mountains are. He's not talking about a physical mountain, he's talking about the mountains in your life. Anything in your life that keeps you from bearing fruit, the fruit of success, the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit in relationships, anything in your life that hinders you from bearing fruit, he says, speak to the mountain. But notice how we gotta speak to the mountain. We gotta speak to the mountain with boldness, with confidence, knowing that that which I say is gonna come to pass. And how can we know whether or not it's gonna come to pass that which we say? Well, what's the foundation of what we're saying? Is it my own personal wishes? Or is it based on what God has revealed to us as being his will for our life, which is revealed through the word of God? But notice who has to speak to the mountain. We have to speak to the mountain. We're to say to that mountain, be moved, be cast away. And it says that if we will speak to that mountain, it'll be moved, it will obey. Notice it does not say, speak about the mountain. Because oftentimes that's what we want to do. We want to talk about the mountain. We want to make sure everybody understands that we have this mountain in our life and how difficult this mountain is to climb and how difficult this mountain is to go around because those mountains are hard to deal with. And so we, we speak, we talk about the mountain. We didn't have our mountains to talk about. What well, we talk about. If you don't understand mountains, tune into Facebook. That's all people do is talk about mountains. Mountains, mountains, mountains. Oh, if you mountains, mount, mountains, 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 mountains. I mean, mountains. Everywhere mountains. Here mountains. There mountains. Everywhere mountain mountains. Everywhere. Mountains, talking about the mountains. Everyone we run into, let's talk about the mountains. You, 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 you get into the street, you run into somebody. There's, there's no even a bump in the road, but you're talking about mountains because it's the mountains in your life. What are we gonna do about the mountains? Nothing happens to the mountains. 
Why? Because we just talk about mountains. In fact, the mountains are growing because we talk about the mountains rather than speak to it. Not going to allow this mountain in my life. Not going to allow this to rise up in this situation. The Word says that no weapon formed against me, so this mountain of sickness, it has no place in my life. And so this mountain has to move and it's to be cast into the sea because by the stripes of Jesus, I've been healed. I don't care what the mountain says. Any of you realize mountains will talk to you? Oh, they've got a great vocabulary. They'll talk to you. But at a certain point, you've got to stop listening to the mountain and start being a mountain mover. Say to the mountain, be thou removed, be thou cast into the sea. And if we don't doubt in our hearts, we're going to have those things for which we speak. In Deuteronomy... The eighth chapter. And we'll look at the eighteenth verse. And it says, And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you power to get wealth that he may establish his covenant which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. He, it is God who gives you the power to gain Wealth, we can say wealth in church. God wants you to experience wealth. He wants you to have enough to meet every one of your needs and enough that you can give to others. He wants you to experience wealth and he says in that, so that he can establish his, his covenant. How does he establish his covenant? Through you and me. We're the vessels. He swore it to, his fa to the fathers, but you know what? It still applies to us today. That is God that gives us the power to give, get wealth. <clears throat> he, he gives you ideas. I, I forget the statistics, how many thousands of ideas each and every one of us have every single day. But we reject them because we thought them. But you know, we need to begin to realize, you know what? It's God that speaks to me. It's God that gives me the ideas. And if God gives me the ideas, then he'll give me the how-to. Because it's, he says he's the one that gives us the power to gain wealth. 
God wants you to be blessed in every area of your life. But remember when we started out, we talked about patterns and principles. That God has established patterns and principles that when we take those patterns and principles and we apply them in our life, we'll experience the plenty that he's talked about here. He'll, we'll experience the fruitfulness. Because what's the point of the patterns and the principles? It's so that you and I can be fruitful in life. So that we will be satisfied in life. Now there's a difference between satisfaction and contentment. We're to be satisfied with life, but we're never to be content with where we're at. The Apostle Paul, well, we are to be content. I, I guess I switched him around. The Apostle Paul says, I've learned to be content in whatever state I'm in, but he is never satisfied to remain there. Why? Because once you get to that point, you're no longer going to be fruitful. You ever wonder why is it that people that have so much never stop there? They keep increasing. They keep producing. Because I believe it's God-given. There's, there's something. It's the Holy Ghost. On the inside of each and every one of us, that wants to be fruitful. And the thing about fruitfulness is there's always increase. And if we're truly fruitful, and if we're truly enjoying our fruitfulness, we're never really totally satisfied with it until we're able to share it with somebody else. Well, you know, pastor, it's just so difficult to give. It's because you're not fruitful. Well, we, we've got all kinds of money in the bank. I don't care. That isn't proof that you're fruitful. Proof that you're fruitful is increase. And proof of increase is when you're able to share with others. The world's way is to... Uh, to keep it for self because they're dependent upon self. And because we're dependent upon self, what if I run out? And so you gotta hoard it for yourself because it's all dependent upon you. But when we realize that our fruitfulness isn't so much dependent upon me as it's dependent upon God because it's God that gives me the power to gain wealth. Remember years, years ago I, I read this, this book and in the book it was talking about Henry Ford and you know how he had uh, invented the car and you know the Ford Model T and all that kind of stuff and you know was, was so wealthy. And uh, but somebody asked him one time, they said, what would you do if you lost everything? 
And he paused for a moment and he said, well, I'd have it all back. I don't remember if he said three years or five years. Because I learned how to gain wealth. See, we learn how to do our own thing and we learn how to spend what we make. But we haven't learned how the principles and the patterns work. And when we learn the principle, you know, we don't have to fear anymore. Because no matter what happens with the economy, no matter what happens with everything around us, we're still going to walk in the abundance. Listen to this in Luke 6.38. You're all familiar with this. But it says, Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your book, will be, will be, will be put, will be put. Will be put. Do you see that? Will be put in your bosom. So let me read it again. Give and it will be given to you. Give and your efforts will grow. No, give and it will be given. It will be put. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your bosom. For with the measure, the same measure that you use, it'll be measured back to you. There's a pattern, there's a principle. You determine the seed, you determine the amount of the seed. And whatever you sow, you're going to reap. And by the measurement that you measure, it'll be measured back to you. Now, when we operate in the principle, God says, I'll give you the increase. You know, we, like I said, Isaac stopped by yesterday. We got talking about some things and, and uh, how he's blessed in his new job and so forth. But we got, we, talk, we got talking about giving. We got talking about tithing. And, uh, you know, and, and I don't know why. This isn't a message on tithing, so don't, don't write that in there. You know, so this, this is just <clears throat> about giving. I don't want to be a tither. I want to be a giver. I want to go above and beyond. But anyway, so we, we're talking about how we don't, really we don't know why we began to tithe. You know, because we got saved and, you know, the church we went to at that time, they didn't really preach on tithing. I'm sure they did somewhere along the line, but I don't remember ever hearing it. And, and so we, we're reading through the Bible book, and we see this about tithing. And so we started tithing. I mean, that was, you know, in our, in our Christian life together, that was one of the first things that we began to do was, was to begin to, to tithe. And, and so, you know, now for 40 whatever years it is, we've, we've tithed and, and been faithful to it. And there's been times in our life where I don't know how we made it. Because we didn't, 
We didn't have the income. I remember sitting down one time, and I, I know this would go against Ramsey, but we sat down to figure out our budget. And we tore it up because there was no way it was going to work. And we just finally says, you know, I don't know what we're doing, but we, we better just keep doing this because if we try to do this, this isn't going to work because we, we don't have enough money coming in. You know, and so during that time, we never missed a house payment. We had three kids in private school. Um, obviously, I never missed a meal. Uh, you know, we never missed a payment. We made it. How? The only thing that I can attribute it to is that I was a tither. And God honored that tithe. You see, the tithe isn't for now. The tithe is for the, the tough times. So that you don't have to wonder where the next payment's going to come from. Now's the time. You say, well, pastor, everything's really good right now. Praise the Lord. Now's the time to get a hold of the truths and the principles of God and begin to put in motion those patterns and those principles. Now is the time. Now is the day of salvation. You know, and, and I'm reading some stuff out of the old covenant, but I, but I want to understand, I want you to understand something. These were the promises that were given to them under the old covenant. And I don't know if you've read Hebrews lately, but the book of Hebrews says that under the new covenant, we have a better covenant. Now I know I'm from Minnesota, but even being from Minnesota, I can understand that better is better. And so it says that we have a better covenant. Everybody say better. Better, better covenant established on better promises. We've been reading promises that were given under the old covenant which are wonderful. But Hebrews says, what we have is even better. And so if you're happy with the law, if you're happy with the old covenant, just think when you pass over into grace, when you think, when you pass over into what he's made available for you and I today. But listen to this. I love this. <laughs> I do. I just... I just, I just really do. Verse 8 in Deuteronomy 28. It says, the Lord. I mean, this, this is almost too good to read. There, it's just. And the Lord commanded the blessing on you in your storehouse. Why, why do you have a storehouse? Because you have too much to use. And so, if he puts a command on your storehouse, obviously, you're supposed to have a storehouse. You're supposed to have 
Surplus. What's a surplus for? For when you need it. When somebody else needs it, whatever it may be. The Lord will command a blessing on your storehouse and in all to which you set your hand and will bless you in the land which the Lord, your God, has given you. In other words, right where you're at. Well, you know, if I was only here, if I was only there. No, you're right here, and he's commanded a blessing upon everything that you put your hands to. Most of us, we look at it and we think, well, I just hope I can make enough to make it. He puts a command upon everything that you put your hands to do. And so you know what? Everything you do, you got to say, man, that's blessed. Hallelujah. Increase is coming my way because I put my hands to that. And my hands are blessed. Well, we didn't get the rain this year, but you know what? My hands went on the steering wheel of that tractor. My hands put that seed in the, grown, in, in the ground. And so my God, not somebody else's God, my God has commanded a blessing upon my crops in Jesus' name. So you know what? I don't care what the forecasters say. I don't care what, the, what everybody else. I know what my God has said, and so I expect a blessing. Well, you know, you know that's okay, Pastor, but I'm kind of in a dead-end job. Great attitude. You probably remain there the rest of your life because you're getting everything that you're believing for. No! I command a blessing upon this job. Everything that I put my hands to is blessed. And I expect an increase. Verse 12, same chapter. The Lord will open to you, will open to you his good treasure of heaven and give the rain on the land in its season and to bless all the works of your hands. You will lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. You know, most of us borrow from many nations. But he says we will lend to many nations. Well, you know, Pastor, that's well and good. But just read on a little bit. You know, if you're going to read part of it, read it all. 16th verse. Cursed shall you be in the city, and cursed shall you be in the country. Well, I'm not going to read anymore because I don't want to fill your head with any of that junk. Pastor. 
I've been. According to Galatians 3, 13, 14, I have been redeemed from the curse of the law. I have been redeemed from the curse of the law. You know what? You need to read Deuteronomy from, you know, chapter 15 to the end or whatever it is, just to see what the curse is. And then when you get done, you need to say, I'm redeemed from that. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is every man that hangs upon the tree. You say, well, I didn't hang on the tree. No, you didn't. But Jesus hung on the tree for you. He was your substitute. He hung on the tree, tree to receive the curse that you and I deserved. He became a curse for us. Why? So that you and I might receive the blessings of Abraham. I've been redeemed from the curse, but not from the blessing. The blessing still belongs to you. He wants to bless the works of your hands. You know, when we built this building, this originally building, original building almost 35 years ago now, we, we did a lot of, lot of it in-house volunteer labor and then through the winter we hired guys that were out of work and gave them jobs and so forth and and so they were they were able to have work through the winter well spring came along and you know I still had a couple of guys that were were still working and uh, and we, we didn't have the money to continue to pay them and so we were going to finish off what still needed to be done you know, with, with volunteer labor because we couldn't, we didn't, we didn't have the money to pay. And, and so I'd spoken to the two individuals that, you know, we, we weren't going to be able to uh, pay them anymore. And, uh, you know, they still didn't have work or anything, but uh, it, it was interesting. That was the last time they ever showed up for work. Whether it was a work day or, or anything else. And you know, and I, I felt kind of bad about it because, you know, now here they are. They, they, didn't, they didn't have any, any income. And God spoke to my heart. Now you can believe that it was God or not. But God spoke to my heart and he says, I would have blessed the labors of their hands but they didn't do anything. Well, pastor, that sounds kind of conditional. It's a pattern and it's a principle that we see in the Word of God. That when we will labor, God will cause the increase. And it's not because we've earned it or deserved it, it's still His grace that's in operation. And so I'm not preaching some kind of a message here this morning that, that's saying, well, God's gonna supply for you so you can sit home and watch as, as the stomach turns every day. You know, and, and I know some of you guys watch it. I worked for a farmer when I was in high school and every noon after lunch, we had to take a nap so he could watch his programs. 
And so don't tell me you don't ever watch those things. But, uh, but anyway, he'll bless the labors of our hands. And you know what? You may feel like you're in one of those dead-end jobs that it's not going anyplace, but I want to tell you something. If you will apply yourself, and if you will use the opportunity that God has given you, you'll see increase in your life. You'll not just simply see increase, but you see promotion. But you know, a lot of times what we need to do is we need to sit back and we need to ask ourselves, if I were hiring, would I promote me? Whew. Amen. This is my... This is my message for you today. You have spiritual authority. And we like to think of it now. I've, I've cast out devils. I've seen people set free through the power and the authority of the word of God. I've laid hands on the sick. And I've seen them recover. And that's all inclusive in spiritual authority. But let me tell you, the primary area where spiritual authority is to work in each and every one of our lives, it's our everyday life. Because we have to face it every day. But you've been given authority through the name of Jesus, through the blood of Jesus, through the word of God, through the power of the Holy Spirit to deal with whatever would encounter you in life. But we have to acknowledge, we have to recognize what Jesus has accomplished for us and we need to put into practice the patterns and the principles that he's revealed to us through his word. I found something out a long time ago. Ignorance is not bliss. Oftentimes we have this, this attitude, well, if I, don't, if I don't know, then I don't have to be responsible for it. That's a lie right out of the pit of hell. If we don't know, it's because we haven't made the effort to find out. If you don't watch the road signs, don't blame the highway patrolman when he picks you up. Because we're to be aware. We need to be aware of the word of God. And when we see those patterns and principles, we need to apply them in our lives. So we can be victorious? Yes. Which means we live a fruitful life, bringing glory to our Lord and Savior. Jesus. Amen? You have authority. But say, I have authority. Say, I've been given dominion. I have mountain moving faith. Yes, you do. Speak to those mountains. Stop putting up with it. Speak to the mountains. Command them to get out of the way. 
experience the abundant life in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. God's so wonderful. He didn't leave us in the dark. He's given us the light. Father, we thank you for the victory that's ours. We thank you that your word is living, active, sharper than any two-edged sword dividing us under that which is soul from that which is spirit. Father, we want to be not just simply people that know the word, but we want to be doers of the word. And so as doers of the word, we thank you, Father, that we live the fruit-filled life. And we thank you for it in the name of Jesus. Amen. So as you go, go in his peace, his strength, his love. Go in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in the magnificent name of Jesus. Amen. Give somebody a hug and tell them you have dominion. <laughs>